Good morning. It's good to be with you and uh, to worship with you. Please pray with me. Lord God Almighty, we praise your name. As I approach this pulpit, I think um, how great a task it is to preach to people about, the, about loving God and, and obeying God. I pray that you'd forgive me, that you would give me grace to speak these words, and I pray that you'd touch the hearts of the people here gathered and tuning in by Zoom. I pray that you'd be glorified in our hearts, in our interactions. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. The passage that was read was all of John 14, 15 to 31. And this is a passage that comes out of what scholars will call the farewell discourse, which is a really remarkable part of John's gospel because as you know, Jesus came into the world with a mission. From the moment that he was incarnated, and we've just celebrated that, he was on the way to the cross. And now, at this point in the gospel, he is so close to that moment. It is around the corner. And what he wanted to do before going to the cross was to gather his closest friends to him. And he shares a meal with them, and he shares with them some very important words. And you can just imagine perhaps thinking, what would you share with the people you love most at that last moment? It's a long passage, it's very rich, and there's so much there. And what I wanted to do today is really focus on a single verse, the first one, verse 15. And it says there very simply, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And as we go through it, at key times, I'm actually going to pull in some verses from 1 John, so John's first epistle. Um, and I find that, that that letter is almost a commentary on what we're doing here. The themes are so intertwined. And as I go into it, I want you to know that, that as I've prepared this sermon, my prayer for you has been that, that you would experience something that, that I once experienced and, and that I need to continue to experience, which is... How I think about obedience has changed. Before, there was a, a time in my life when obedience for me meant something like a restriction on my freedom, and there was frustration in my relationship with God. And God transformed that. There was a, there was a time that followed where obedience became an experience of, of the joy and fullness of the life that God has made. That's something that I need to continue to reappropriate, and maybe you as well. And during that time, 1 John verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 3 became one of my favorite verses. And it says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. And it wasn't that God's commandments had changed. But it was my heart that had changed. I had begun to love God for who he is and, and therefore to receive life the way that God has made it to be. And I think that now going back to our verse, John 14, 15, 
I think that when Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, I think behind there is the, the assumption that the same kind of transformation is going to happen in your lives as well. And so this is my plan. I want to talk about three things. The first one being love itself. We're going to talk about love and the fact that we all love something. And the question is, what do we love? The second thing is the order of love and obedience. Which one of those two things needs to come first? And does it really matter? And finally, I want to talk about the God manifested in Jesus. Who is our God exactly? And how should we relate to God? Again, thinking about our verse, Jesus begins this way, if you love me. And these conditionals are always important. He says, if. The implication is that you may not love him. Because in fact, you may love something else or perhaps someone else. And as I thought about this, I thought, well, probably the most natural thing for any one of us being human is to love ourselves most of all. Which, of course, overdone, this leads to selfishness, doesn't it? I think the next most natural thing is for us to, to love something created, uh, something, someone, but not God. And especially loving stuff, you know, things in the world, that usually leads to greed and envy and other things like that. And we have this warning again now in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. In other words, we all love something in the deepest part of our hearts. Either we love God most of all, or we love something created most of all. And as Jesus makes plain, what we love determines how we live. John 14, the passage we've just heard, verses 23 and 24, he says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So, of course, love is important. Who or what we love, most of all, defines the pattern of our lives. And so, returning again to our verse, what is coming first? Is it the love or is it the obedience? And this may seem very trivial or, or simple to you, but I don't think it is. It doesn't say there, if you keep my commandments, then you will learn to love me. And neither does it say, if you keep my commandments, then I will love you. But it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I believe that through experience and, and through reading the Bible, I think that we know that if we have obedience before love, it will lead to one of two places usually, either to pride, first of all, if we start to compare ourselves with other people, 
Or it can lead, as it did in my case, as I was telling you, to frustration and resentment, to bitterness, and, and, and most of all, to this sense of heaviness, of having to carry something. In other case, there is a distinct possibility that we may become immune to love. And why is that? It's because loving God means receiving from God. And we have to be humble to receive from God, and we have to, um, or rather, when done with love, we experience joy. And so, what was perhaps obvious, love does come before obedience. But ask another question, whose love exactly? As I've hinted before, is it that God comes to love us only after we love him? The answer, of course, is in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, where John writes, we love because he first loved us, right? And we can think about many things, but we exist because God first loved us. We can be forgiven. Why? Because God first loved us. And we can love God because God first loved us. And so, in summarizing, this is the order of love and obedience. First of all, God loves us. Then, we learn to love God. And finally, we obey God joyfully. And that joyfully is very important. And maybe you, like me, are sitting there and you're wondering, okay, fine, God loves us. We learn to love God. We obey God joyfully. But how do we learn to love God? I think that for some of us is a trick. And I think we could answer that in all kinds of ways. But one of the ways I think that we can answer it is that I think we learn to love God when we watch God in action in our lives and the lives of other people, the way that other people are treating other people. As we see God at work in us and in the world, we first learn that God is lovable, somebody that you would want to love. And then naturally, out of that leads that love. And I think that if we don't already love God, it's possible that what's wrong is that the imagination that we have of God is that we're thinking of God in terms of something or someone who isn't all that lovable, something wrong with our vision of who God is. And so with that in mind, I want to ask you this question. Okay, this is for you personally. Who is God? What is the first word that comes to your mind? Father. I think what's beautiful at the Bible is that we have so many words. Father is, 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 is one of the best ones, maybe. But we also can think of God as creator, can't we? And as redeemer, as lawgiver, as judge, and, and many of these, and some of them will appeal to us more than others. And I think that in all of it, I think what's most radical for us is that the living God is also, at the same time as all of that, fundamentally the God who loves. To love is inextricably part of who God is at the deepest level. First John 4, 8 states it very clearly. It says, anyone who does not love God does not know God. Why? He says, because God is love. God is love. 
And nothing that God does is done apart from his love, not creating and not redeeming, and what is pertinent for us, not even commanding. And so, knowing this, knowing that God is love, there are two points that I'd like to make, and I want to illustrate each one of those points with a little story. And the first point is this. God's commandments are grounded in his invitation to us to be in relationship with him. And the illustration that I want to use actually comes directly from the Bible. It comes from 2 Samuel 23. It comes out of the life of David. It's this really interesting moment in David's life where, where everything David does is surrounded by risk and danger. He has a lot of enemies. And so he's hiding out in a fortress in the wilderness. And sometime during this period, three men come to visit him. And it just refers to them as three mighty men, close friends of David. And during that time, at some point, David as we sometimes do, just expresses, ah, you know, there is nothing in this world like the water at the well in, Jeru uh, in Bethlehem, in my hometown. The water here in the wilderness, the water in the north and the south, it's just not the same. But of course, he couldn't go home and get some of that water. He couldn't go home to see his family. Why? Because the Philistines were camped there. These are the enemies of Israel. And it would have been very dangerous for him to go there. And what's remarkable is at some point, I can just imagine it, the three friends, the mighty men, they get together in a corner and they say, can you imagine the face <laughs> or, of David if we managed to get a hold of some of that water and we presented it to him? And so, very foolishly perhaps, they go, they sneak behind enemy lines, they get water from this well and they come, they bring it back to David and they give it to him and he's What's on his face? I don't know. But he takes the water, he pours it on the ground. He says, far be it from me, O Lord, that I would drink this water because these men went at the risk of their lives. And there are a few things that I want to pull out of this story. The first thing is that, unlike what I'm talking about, which is commands and obedience, this wasn't even a command. But I think it still teaches us something really interesting because... David's wish had become like a command for them. They didn't have to do it at all. There was no one who believed that they should do it, but they did. And I think that there was no other person that they would have done it for. I think that's the key. They did it because they loved David. And why did they love him? I think because they appreciated who he was. He was their king. He was someone who led them well, who took care of them, who protected them. And I think they knew already, I don't think they were surprised when he poured out the water. I think they knew already that he loved them. And what we see in these three mighty men is an overflow of gratitude towards David, a transformed sense of joy. It had become their delight to participate in the delight of their master. So thinking about David, I'd like to think about Jesus as well. Isn't Jesus, of course, our greater David? Jesus loves us perfectly. Jesus leads us perfectly. 
And of course, Jesus is the one who went behind enemy lines to get us living water, wasn't it? He died for our sins. And I think we see a very important parallel in the way that Jesus relates to us and the way that, that God related to Israel in the Old Testament, that first of all, when Israel was in Egypt and enslaved, God brought them out. He said to them, now you're my people, now I'm your God. And now here is a list of things that I'd like you to follow because it's good for you to follow them. And the relationship was established and then the commands. And it's the same for us. Jesus first comes out and he reaches out to us and then he asks us once the relationship exists to obey because it's good for us and he wants to see it flowing out of our delight. That's the first point. Obedience grounded in relationship. The second one is this, that what God commands is fundamentally good for us. It's actually the best possible way for us to live. I've got a little illustration, this one, a, a personal one. And this was true a few months ago when Tristan was just a little bit younger. And because Paige is doing her studies, um, I will often prepare supper. And so in our kitchen, we have this little island. And on the island, we've got this big wooden block where I normally cut the vegetables. And Tristan had this little phase where he loved to come and participate in what I was doing. And he would come and, and anything that I would let him do, he would like to help me. But Tristan loves something else as well. He really loves little toy cars and trucks. And so sometimes he really wanted to put those things together and he wanted to bring his toy trucks and play while being with me and helping me. And of course, I have this rule. I say to Tristan, look, you can be here, but you can't put your trucks on the, this cutting board. Okay, and sometimes I had time to tell him why that was the case. And sometimes I didn't. And I would just tell him, look, no toys on the cutting board. But whether I had time to tell him or whether I didn't, there was a good reason for that. And you maybe have already guessed it. Um, of course, we didn't want the vegetables to get dirty. That was one reason, but it's not actually the reason. The reason is because the last thing that I want is for him to be there playing with his trucks while I'm cutting with a very sharp knife. Because I'd like to see Tristan grow up to have all of his fingers. I think the rule is good for Tristan, even if he doesn't like it all the time. And I think that's exactly what we see in Deuteronomy 10, uh, 12 and 13. Moses writes this, or he spoke this and then wrote it. What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. It's for your good. And it shouldn't surprise us because God is himself good. And his rules, I don't think, could be any other way but good. And so in light of God's goodness, our obedience is both an expression of our belief that God is good and loving. It's also one way by which we enjoy who God is, as well as enjoying the life that God has made for us. So in conclusion, 
when Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I'd like you to think about these other words that come right at the end of the passage, verse 31, where Jesus says, but so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. And he becomes, for Jesus, a testimony. And he becomes, for us, I think, also a testimony to the world. And so, maybe for you and for me, that your obedience is grounded in love. And may your love be grounded in a vision of who God is. And may you delight in who God is through obedience. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you've reached out to save us before any one of us could think about looking for you. We thank you that you've given us good instruction in the scripture and we haven't had time to explore the ways of obeying you, but I do pray that you would convince us through and through that your law is good. We do pray that by our lives and our, our, our example that we would enjoy you and that we would show the world that you are lovable to be enjoyed and we pray that you might have all the glory. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.